Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting experts straight talk in your ear. These podcasts deliver great interviews with industry leaders and Zweig Group's three decades of invaluable research, leadership, management, marketing, client, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts let you develop personally and professionally, wherever you are. Hey folks, it's Randy Wilburn here from the Zweig Letter Podcast. So excited to bring you another high quality episode. This is actually a two part series that we're doing. We're calling it Market Sector Madness. Um, I had a chance to sit down and talk with Will Schneer at length uh, right before Thanksgiving. And um, we had a great discussion about the difference between a geographic um, office setup as opposed to a market sector office setup for the design industry and and what firms are doing from a market sector approach as opposed to a a location-based team setup. And uh, Will had some really great insight to share and and, uh, some great information. We actually had a chance to talk about a whole lot of things uh, in the hour and 20-minute conversation that we had, and it was so good. We decided to cut it into two episodes, and this is the first of the two episodes, and I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I do look forward to getting your feedback on this and and definitely listen to part two next week, uh, where we continue to talk about um, the benefits of a market sector approach to running your design firm and also just some uh, great advice from the management A to Y book. And, And what do you how firms can be successful just by even the smallest amount of advice that you get uh, from any of the experts in the in the industry that are providing firms with uh, guidance and um, training in terms of being uh, operating their firms more efficiently. So I hope you enjoy this. Um, certainly look forward to your feedback. And um, here it is, part one of Market Sector Madness with Will Schneer. Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. Our goal is to bring you some of the best and brightest minds that the AEC industry has to offer. Today, I am with none other than Will Schneer, CEO of Big Red Dog Engineering, based in Austin, Texas. Will, it's great to have you back on the show again. Your episodes have been some of the most popular ever on the Zweig Letter Podcast. You've helped to raise the standard of our podcast, and so we really appreciate that. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's Thanksgiving week. We all have much to be thankful for uh, this industry and and in our ability to work work with each other, our firms, and uh, you know, it's been a, a wonderful year for us, and and I'm sure there's there's much more to to come and be thankful for. But uh, I'm really really blessed and very thankful this week for for everything we've done this year. Hey, that's all right, man. I like to hear that. Yeah, that's um, that. You, you, I mean, you hit it, hit the nail right on the head. It is a time to be thankful. That was one of my posts that I put out on Instagram this morning. Is just as a reminder for everybody that in the busyness of life, sometimes we have to stop and smell the roses. And this is certainly a week to do that with family and good food and fellowship and all the stuff that goes along with that. So, uh, thank you for that that simple reminder. We we definitely need it. Um, you know, it's been a minute since we last had you on the on the program, and it's because you guys have been busy there at Big Red Dog, uh, expanding and growing, and just busy in general. I know you have uh, a ton of clients and a, a lot of work to be done. I, I had the um, benefit with another colleague of mine, Bill Murphy, to attend a special event that you just held recently in Houston, Texas, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we were at an ice house, which I had to look up. I was like, well, what is an ice house? And you know, I guess they're, I guess down in Texas, they have a number of ice houses down there for more like, I guess they're, it's a glorified name for a brewery or, or a, brew, a brew pub. Um, but we, we hung out at, at an ice house down there, which was about, I don't know, 10 minutes from our hotel. It was a lot of fun and got a chance to see your people interacting with their clients and um, just with their other colleagues. And, and uh, really, really, really cool to see you know, a growing, thriving firm doing well and, and having fun at the same time, which is something that you don't always see in this industry. So um, I'm, I'm glad. First of all, I really appreciated the invite to the event. Uh, and, I, and I'm really glad that um, that you guys are, are doing so well right now. Well, I'm glad you could make it and, and see how we do things uh, down here in Texas and in the ice houses. Uh, and you got to see a little bit of our company culture too. I know you guys got to spin the prize wheel that uh, everyone gets to spin at their anniversary with the firm. Um, Bill Bill got a Yeti. Um, there were a lot of other real cool things on the prize wheel, but uh, from from everything we've heard, the event went very well, and and folks had a wonderful time. And um, you know, we take ourselves seriously ninety uh, percent of the time. The, five or 10% we get to relax and cut loose and, and show appreciation for our, our folks um, who do, you know, who enable Big Red Dog to be what they are and the clients who allow us to serve them. Um, it's really, really um, gratifying and rewarding that, that we're able to do that and that you were able to participate in it. So I'm glad, very glad you were there. Thank you, Randy. Oh, no problem. No problem. My <laughs> pleasure. Next year, I'm, I'm open for the Yeti cooler. So we'll We'll see what happens. So I, I also, on another note, I also thought of you. I was uh, I was in a presentation in Houston. That's one of the reasons why we were there uh, doing a leadership training. And um, one of the people at the presentation had a Bucky's cup. So I told a story about <laughs> Bucky's, about my experience with Bucky's, how you introduced it to me, and I also mentioned how the first time I took my kids there. They would not leave for over an hour, and um, and that was um, you know more than a notion. I guess they just opened up some really big Bucky's in um, uh, in the Katy area there in they Houston. Did. Yeah, so and it's it's a big deal. But anyway, 
uh, I, I was just sharing with the audience and they got a kick out of that. And for those of you that are listening to this podcast, wondering what Bucky's is, just look it up. Uh, B-U-C-C-E-S dot com, <laughs> I think. But uh, just look it up. It is it is the Walmart of uh, of rest stations, the biggest gas station that you will ever see and the biggest rest stop that you will ever experience with a little bit of everything. So uh, it was it was, a, it was a lot of fun to talk about that. And I certainly have you to thank because you guys were the ones that turned us <laughs> on to it in the Bucky's Nuggets. So yeah, yeah. Know, yeah, big shout out to those guys. I know if I, I put a bag of Bucky's Nuggets in front of you, it's not going to last very long. No, no, not, not at all. Not Sugar at all. is a dangerous thing, Randy. It is. It <laughs> is. That's the truth for sure. So... <laughs> that is the truth. So listen, talk yeah, about, you know, when you talk about blue ocean strategy, talk about what Bucky's did in terms of reinventing the gas station game, focusing on clean bathrooms, unlimited pumps, um, you know, hundred thousand, hundred, hundred and thirty thousand square foot gas station. Where would you ever see anything like that? You know, is that pro forma even work? And these have to be the most profitable gas stations I've ever seen. Um, the bath, they sell the bathrooms and then, you know, there's a hundred plus gas pumps out there. So you never have to wait. Um, and you'll, you'll pass 50 gas stations to go another 70 miles and, and get to the Bucky's. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you are not lying. That, that, that gas is the station case. And feel like you need a shopping cart too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, no. It's a blue ocean strategy right there. Yeah, you are. And I'm. it's funny that you bring that up. I mean, that was something that we talked about in our leadership training, the blue ocean strategy, which I have to give Ozzie Nelson props for introducing it to me. And then I had to go read the book. And now I've read Blue Ocean Shift. But but you are absolutely right. Uh, I mean, Bucky's found uh, a path of least resistance and they are they they are competing with no one right now. I mean, they, they're just, they're, they are on a whole nother level when it comes to rest stops. And you're absolutely right. If I saw, uh, if I needed gas, but I knew I could make it an extra 75 miles just to drive to, in, just to go to a Bucky's, I would do it in a heartbeat. So, you know, um, you, you are absolutely right. It's funny we say this and we kind of laugh about that kind of stuff, but the reality is, is that the market will dictate and tell you what people really want. And sometimes if you take a moment to listen and observe and, and create new opportunities, uh, the market will respond in kind. And I, I think they are they are doing just that for Bucky's, as they actually are for firms in the design industry that are going against the trend and offering up services and, you know, packaging things up differently than the way firms have done historically. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's a it's a great Great role model, and you wouldn't think you'd find that in the service station or the gas station business. And they they do it right. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so having having you on this podcast several times, and I I lose track. I think it's either the third or the fourth time that we've had you on. Um, we've had a chance to talk about everything from recruiting to marketing to how you got the name for your company. Um, today, we want to talk a little bit about some of the benefits of operating your company from a market sector approach versus a geographical-based firm, which we still see a lot of firms in the design industry operating that way, where you know each office is its own separate profit center, and you know thing that you know you almost have this silo approach um, to running a company where you have these little mini fiefdoms and in, in different parts of of the country, depending on how many locations a firm would have. But 
But but talk a little bit um, about your experience with this whole market sector approach and you know how how it's benefited Big Red Dog and, and your biggest takeaway from this this aspect. Okay. Um, well, prior to about 15, 12, 15 months ago, we were a geographic based firm and, and silos or fiefdoms would be a great term or set of terms to use for how we were operating. Uh, we started the firm, uh, 2009 with the geographic office, one office. And as we grew, each office did what you just stated. They became their own profit center. And about five years into it, it got further convoluted because we started um, adding additional disciplines, engineering disciplines into the firm. We started as a civil engineering firm, primarily a land development firm. And then we've over time added mechanical, electrical and plumbing engineering. We added structural engineering. We added transportation and traffic engineering. And then in each office, each discipline became its own silo and fiefdom. So in the Austin office, for example, it could have just as easily have been four companies. It could have been a civil engineering firm, a traffic firm, uh, uh, MEP firm, and a structural engineering firm. And what that did and what that effectively does is by creating silos, there's a decrease in motivation to share work between offices. Uh, you're unable to take advantage of the full scale of your firm. Yes, you're diluting overhead against across the same multiple profit centers. But when I talk about unable to take advantage of scale, you know, the civil engineers in one office aren't talking to the civil engineers 150 miles away in another office. Uh, and they're unable to share market intelligence, you know, much less clients and workload and everything else that goes along with that. And ultimately, you know, it stagnated our growth for a period, which is why we considered and ultimately moved into a market structure. So we went from, you know, Austin civil engineering, Austin traffic engineering, Austin structural engineering, Austin MEP engineering, and repeat the same in San Antonio, Dallas and Houston. So effectively, we were eight to 12 profit centers, all geographically siloed, um, instead of operating as a hundred plus person firm with almost $16 million in revenue. We were half a million to $2 million companies all owned by a parent company without any ability to, to cross pollinate um, and take advantage of each other's uh, market presence. When we moved to the market structure, um, and we can talk about lessons learned in a minute, I'll, I'll, I'll jump right to where we, we are today. Um, our market structures today are residential land development, commercial land development, public infrastructure, which uh, includes civil engineering and transportation engineering. And then our fourth one is our vertical building systems group, which is our structural and MEP engineering group. Um, and so those four market structures today are the only four profit centers in the company. They span in many, they span in all cases our geographic locations. We have uh, six offices today. Uh, when we started the market structure, we had four. Um, we still have four disciplines, uh, but traffic and transportation falls in our public infrastructure vertical, and then MEP and structural are in our vertical building systems uh, sector. And that doesn't mean those are hard lines there. We say there's a silk screen between uh, the market sectors that um, just because you're in one market sector doesn't mean you're working on projects from another market sector or on a project team 
um, that a, where a project lives in another market sector. And, and, you know, there have been lessons learned and there have been growing pains moving into this structure. But just in the last, you know, I said we're 12 to 15 months into it, just in the last, you know, three to four months, do you start to see the slingshot effect that it's having? We've been able to open a, a fifth and sixth office in Texas, um, where prior to that, prior to the market structure for us to open a new office, we had to put all the infrastructure in, in the geographic location to make the office sustainable. You know, work winner, the project managers, the project engineers, the designers. Now we can put the work winner who doubles as the project manager in a new office and immediately he has a team of 40 or 50 people within his market spread throughout the company. It automatically enhances work sharing between geographic locations because the team is no longer, you know, team A is no longer five people in Austin, three people in San Antonio, six in Houston and four in Dallas. The team is all of those people together. Uh, and the project managers are local, but the production level people really can work on any project in the company at any time regardless of where they're sitting. Um, it allows us to do a couple of things that are near and dear to my heart. It allows for rapid geographic expansion. We don't need to build out a whole office. We just need to find the guy who can win and manage the work in an office. And as he wins more, we can start supporting him with local um, talent. But uh, more importantly, it allows us to find talent where it lives. Randy, you're in the recruiting game when you're not hosting uh, the Swag Letter podcast. Uh, and you and I work on that together. We know how painful recruiting is. It's a, it's, you know, in, you know, our industry obviously goes in cycles, but uh, we're at a hot market, top of the market type condition and recruiting is incredibly tough. Uh, if you told me, go find me a 15 year project manager in Dallas right now, I'd need a year to do it. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, if you told me, find me a new graduate and put him in Dallas, I can do that all day long. Now we are, you know, talk about any of those positions, you know, a senior hydrologist, you know, a senior structural engineer with experience in post-tension concrete, um, you know, an electrical engineer who specializes in high-rise uh, office buildings in a, in a urban downtown setting. You know, we can't afford to put one of those specialties in every office but we can certainly afford one or two across the company that feed off of the work within the whole firm. And it doesn't matter where that guy's sitting. He can be in Austin. He can be in Fayetteville for all I care. If he's in Fayetteville, we'll just start a Fayetteville office and hang a shingle. And, and uh, he still has the, the weight of a hundred people behind him. Um, so it allows us to find that talent where it lives and it allows for rapid geographic expansion. Um, it allows for, uh, work to be shared across multiple offices, which uh, mitigates uh, market risk in a specific geographic location. And, uh, you know, when you combine all of these things, um, it also allows for fewer heads at the top who are running the individual profit center. So instead of having eight to 12 people running a profit center who each had a number two, we have four profit centers with four people in charge of them who each have two or three or four deputies that we call market leaders in the geographic locations. So it certainly streamlined our leadership structure as well, uh, which, you know, when that happens, you know, you get economies of scale, decisions get made faster. There's more consistent experience for the employees and the clients. Um, 
and the whole organization becomes a whole lot more predictable and and rhythmic instead of uh, having 12 people, you know, all trying to run their own vertical, you know, without the help of the other other people in the company. So the market structure has had growing pains, and and you can ask me questions about that, and I'll be very honest with you. But uh, all things considered, it is really um, it's really provided some positive things that I have um, great enthusiasm um, in looking forward to how that plays out as we continue to grow um, as a firm and and within the market structure. Okay. Well, man, I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of information in terms of just kind of where things are right now. And yeah, I, I do have a, a ton of questions, but just a, really a couple that kind of stand out in my mind. And I'd be curious to know what was, what was, what did you and your, what did you think was going to be the biggest challenge in undertaking a market sector approach that ended up not being an issue at all? And what has been a challenge for you? The, I thought it was going to be a big challenge undoing the geographic fiefdoms and the service line fiefdoms where, you know, remember we had 12 guys who were essentially all the president and vice presidents of their own business um, moving into four, you know, market directors that essentially become the president and vice president of those businesses. Um, and I thought we were going to have a, a big time, a, a big challenge delivering that message and getting the egos of our leaders to accept the new structure and actually get behind it instead of become defeated by it or fight against it. Um, Randy, my whole family just walked in the house. <laughs> oh, that's no problem. That's no problem. Um, so you can edit this if you if you hear beeps and things. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no worries. That's but in bad. reality, uh, that was less of a concern and really a non-concern. People really adjusted to that very well. That doesn't mean all twelve people uh, that were in the top are still in those positions or even still with the firm. Um, unfortunately, uh, three or four of them are no longer with the firm and. You know, we we're better off as a firm, and I firmly believe that they're better off uh, in their new endeavors. Um, that was all handled, you know, fairly and 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 equitably uh, those separations. But um, you know, we were we were clogged at the top, which slowed decision making and was stagnating growth. And moving to the market structure and and realigning the leadership team. Um, was not as nearly the challenge that I anticipated it to be. Um, a bigger, the bigger challenge by far was at the lower levels of the organization, getting um, the project engineers and the project designers to understand that their team was no longer the team that they can see with their two eyes. It was, you know, the much larger team uh, that spans the firm. You'll take our commercial uh, market sector, for example. Russell Yeager uh, is an excellent leader of that group. But uh, under him, Russell has Brad Lingby, you know, who's a major shareholder in the firm, company co-founder, member of the board of directors. Brad runs his largest office in Austin for the commercial team. It's 15, 20 people. Um, but how powerful is it for Russell to have a guy like Brad as his number two uh, that he doesn't have to worry about, you know, a significant portion of his market because he knows Brad has it locked down and under control? 
That allows Russell to focus on some of the younger market leaders in Houston and San Antonio and Dallas, uh, younger or less experienced than Brad in, in this case, um, and really lend his mentorship and his leadership and training to them. Um, and, and, you know, so the, in terms of a management perspective, it's worked out well, but at the lower team levels, the harder challenge has been convincing the people under Brad and the people under Patrick and the people under Taylor and Jennifer that, hey, just because you feel like you're overwhelmed now, don't feel like you have to give all this work to these five people right in front of you. There's 15 other people or 25 other people in these other three offices that can do exactly what you need. Just pick up the phone and coordinate it and, and make it happen. Um, and that's that's been the biggest challenge. Okay. Now, are you guys using any special software to do this, or is, have you found something that has been become useful for the organization in terms of making sure, from a collaboration perspective, that you know everybody has enough on their plate to do? And 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 what what has worked for you guys? Um, just old fashioned telephone, email, Google Hangouts. Uh, there's a lot of Skype meetings, a lot of go to meetings. Um, we did make a massive IT upgrade concurrent with the restructuring that allows project files to be shared seamlessly. All of our files are uh, taken care of um, by Amazon Web Services. So you can open, if you're sitting in Dallas, you can open a file from the Houston office or from the Austin office as if it was already there. Uh, and that was a significant IT investment. Um, and video conferencing each office is is networked in the conference rooms for video conferencing um and we're still still tweaking that and you know every year new technology comes out and, and you know newer bigger better uh, video conferencing technologies uh, i would love you know my my dream at this point knowing what i know about video conference technology is just to have constantly cameras on in each office so you can look at four screens or five screens in the Austin office and see exactly what's happening in the other offices. Uh, and if, you know, if I need to talk to somebody there, I can just walk into the conference room, the video is already on and start talking immediately. You know, not the 10 minutes of trying to get the IT to work. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is almost the perfect time to do this because there is so much uh, great technology out there that affords you that opportunity to share files, things that you could, really couldn't even do five or 10 years ago, as far as that's concerned, um, because the size of some of your project files, I, I imagine, would be very large. And because of that, um, you know, back in the day, it would have been very difficult to share those across across offices. That's right. That's right. Uh, even, you know, and, and it'll be different by the end of next year, what we're doing. Uh, that's a big challenge in our industry is keeping up with the, the pace of change of technology. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, no. Well, that that's, a, that's really, I mean, I, I love hearing how this is all coming about. And, you know, I'm just curious to know, have you guys decided on or have you had some type of company-wide event where you got, you've gotten everybody together? Have you seen the need to do that? Or do people feel like, even with the technology being what it is and the ability for people to stay in contact through Google Hangout and GoToMeeting and the, the, uh, the, the conference rooms that are, that are fully equipped with all the new technology, do, do they feel connected with each other or have you figured out other ways to have, ver to have real face-to-face -face time with, with the different team members? The latter. Um, 
left to the technology alone, uh, it would take longer to to implement. Each each of the four markets that I described, commercial, residential, public, and vertical, uh, each of them has an annual retreat um, where they'll spend you know a morning in a conference room at a hotel or, or a conference facility, and they'll go through their business plan, they'll go through their projects, um, they'll give uh, team member recognition awards uh, for exhort, uh, exceptional effort by team members, for client recognition awards if the clients uh, submitted a raving fan survey review. Um, and then typically the afternoon will be more of a team building event. And Top Golf is a, is a favorite location. Um, there's a Top Golf in every city we're in. Uh, and so they, they love going to Top Golf. There's, um, uh, what's the, uh, there's one in the domain that they like a lot, um, Social Junkie or Social Hour or something like that. But it's a bunch of paid games and things like that. Um, and then this year or every year we do a company-wide Christmas party. Um, and it's typically after Christmas in early January. You know, after the rush of the holidays is over, all your family's out of town and, and you can actually, you know, think about going to an office Christmas party. You know, a lot of them tend to be, uh, you know, attended previously at my previous jobs. They tend to be poorly attended because they were always between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, uh, you know, with kids and babysitters and, and out of town family, it was always tough to make work. So we've always done our Christmas party after the holidays. And um, this year we're doing it in Green, Texas, which is located between Austin and San Antonio. And it's got a great dance hall and, and country music, uh, live music type venue there. And so the theme is, of it is red and green, big red dog in Green, Texas. And all the, all the offices are coming together. The Austin and San Antonio offices are close enough that they're chartering buses um, but the other offices will get hotel rooms okay. uh, and be able to spend the night. Okay, cool. Now, our, if you, our, if our, you hear my son in the background in your tape, he's uh, he's having lunch right now. Oh, I don't know if he'll listen, be able to pick that up. That's that's all good. We all have to eat, Will. It's not a problem. I mean, we, this is this podcast is this is the, a real world podcast because people it's have to understand. Family friendly, right? Yeah, it is, it is absolutely family friendly. So you know, without a doubt, um, no, I, I that's that's not a problem at all. Um, so it sounds like you guys have this whole process pretty pretty well under control. And right now, the biggest issue for you, more so than anything else, is just making sure you have the right people in the right places, which I can imagine having the wrong people in the wrong places really can mess things up. That's, uh, you know, this it's a people business. What are, what are we at the end of the day, if not brokers of talent between our clients and our, our team members? Um, you know, my business partner, Ricky, likes to say, you know, we're a very well compensated waiter. We're in the service business, which is a people business. Uh, but we've we've kind of modified that to say, really, we broker, you know, technical skills by individual people on behalf of individual clients. And um, it very much is a people business. And, and we are fortunate and blessed to have 115 plus excellent people on the team. Um, some of the growing pains associated with the market structure um, were mostly communication based um, and, you know, very limited cases, but, uh, you know, less than a handful of people who just didn't like the change, just didn't like, 
the fact that there was going to be um, you know, more more work sharing between offices and, and bringing together of the company. And that's fine. Um, at companies change as they grow. You know, the, the folks who are involved from zero to 10, you know, bring a skill set that's incredibly valuable. And then you need some different skill sets from 20 to 50. Um, and as we got to 100 and as we're trying to get to 200 or 300, you know, we're going to need different skill sets. I'm going to need different skills. I'm going to need uh, different ways of, of analyzing situations. Um, ultimately, you know, as we continue to grow, the company may get bigger than me as the CEO, and, and that's perfectly fine. You know, I'm, I'm quite honest about that. Uh, you know, if, if I do my job as the best I can, the company will outgrow me, and someone else is going to have to come in and, and take this seat. Uh, to me, that that's a tremendous you know honor and feather in my cap that you know I can get something that big that it outruns my level of competence. Uh, the challenge is to you know keep making myself sharper so that doesn't happen. But you know translate that all the way down through every level of the organization, and our shareholders get that very much. Our management team gets that very much. Um, we have um, some of the smaller shareholders or even non-shareholders because of their experiences and the way they think about the business and what they bring to the table from a management perspective, have an outsized voice compared to perhaps their ownership share in the company. And as an ownership team, that's what we want. We want the best people in here we can get. And, and we must be egoless um, as we pursue, pursue those people to understand that, you know, Will Schneer's status or the next partner's status is much less important than uh, the health of the company and the financial security of the people who work for the company. You know, this isn't a company built for Will Schneer's success or one of the other 13 partners' success. You know, this is a company built, you know, to build something that's creating value and, and creating security for the folks who work here and, and ultimately for the clients who trust us with their projects. And, um, you know, without that mentality, I'm not sure a whole company reorganization is successful or is even possible, much less, you know, growth, trying to grow, you know, 10x in revenue and people in 10 years is, is uh, it requires a mindset like that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I love I love hearing that. We, you know, it's one of the things that we mentioned in our leadership training is that even as leaders, if we're not trying to make way for somebody else to take over for what we're doing, then there really is no real growth. You know, I tell people all the time that you can't stay in one position for forever. You have to make room for others to to see what the real potential is. And if, if it's always this glass ceiling that exists, uh, whether real or imagined, then that stifles real growth and creativity. And you really miss out on on seeing what could be. So... That you're absolutely right. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of examples. Didn't didn't uh, you know? I know it was perhaps more ethical, but didn't the Uber CEO just build the most second most valuable company in the world, and the you know company more valuable than Marriott, and you know companies like that, and he just got removed from his own firm. You know, you look at the Google founders; uh, yeah. they actually got both of them got removed as co CEOs early on. Uh, they brought in Eric Schmidt and eventually one of them took it back over once they matured. But even, you know, Zuckerberg, um, you know, a 
check fact check me here, Randy. I know you're a, a business junkie too, but I think his board made him bring in Sheryl Sandberg if he wanted to stay CEO or something like that. Uh, you know that that's um, you know that's a fact of life in this business. There's there's value that needs to be created and there's value that needs to be protected, and they both need to happen. You know. Or we stay a 50-person or 100-person firm and make sure, you know, what do you have then? You're not building a business. You're creating your own job, right? Uh, and, and so different ways of looking at it, I guess. Yeah. And, and that point you just brought up about the 50 or 100-person firm and owning a owning a job as opposed to owning a business is is still very real and very prevalent in the design space. We, we talk to people to this day. This is 2017 that still feel like that is the the route that they want to go. And then they start talking about shareholder value and wanting to be able to have something to give to the next generation. And, you know, the conversation ends very fairly abruptly because we explain to them that with the mindset that you have, it's it's uh, it's the antithesis of growth, of real growth. And of of looking at opportunities that would allow you to kind of take your firm to the next level, and it just it just doesn't happen that way. And and so you know, I it's you almost have to be intentional about it. And it sounds like you guys are really taking an intentional approach here um, to really grow this thing and 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 essentially um, knock the cover off the ball in the process. And a lot of firms, even some of your competitors aren't necessarily willing to do that. And that's it's unfortunate for the industry as a whole. I mean, it certainly is good for Big Red Dog, but it's it's too bad that that some firms don't, you know, don't understand this process. You know, and, and I'd be curious just to kind of pick up on one other thing with regard to the young people that you guys are bringing in. And I know that you've had a fairly um, decent time of hiring new younger folks to join Big Red Dog. Uh, what What is their take on this whole, um, you know, uh, market sector approach? And is it is are they are they gravitating towards it? And are they embracing it fairly easily uh, at the onset when they join your firm? Yes, um, we our our culture and our branding is powerful enough that we have our choice and our internship program is excellent too. I think every three months we have 16 to 18 new interns throughout the company, uh, which gives us our pick of the litter for, for new graduates. Uh, internship programs are nice because you can train them um, as graduate engineers. They get to do graduate engineer level work, uh, but you're training them while they're still in school. And typically at you know, a fraction of what you'd be training them at as a new graduate with full-time salary and benefits um, that when they get to come into the firm from an, our internship program to having full salary and benefits, they hit the ground running and they're ready to go. There is very little integration at that point. They know everything about the firm. Um, we run an open book management firm. So they, even as interns, they get to see um, how the firm is performing financially and in a variety of other uh, non-financial metrics related to marketing, HR, things like that. Um, but by and large, you know, new graduates really have never been in another office uh, setting. You know, this is their first professional office setting um, for these new graduates coming in and, and don't know any differently. Um, 
you know, when we talk about owners who have, you know, building a job mindset and aren't trying to create growth opportunities and growth firms, you know, the same naivety keeps young engineers there for 10, 15 years into their career before they realize, hey, all my friends have been made partners somewhere else. All my friends have skin in the game and I'm still, you know, going in for my annual review, hoping for a three to five percent raise and a thousand dollar bonus while the, while the owner gets a new Beamer. Um, you know, and, and that naivety, um, you know, works on both sides of the equation. You know, for four years, Randy, no one had ever left us for a competitor. Um, people had left town to go back to graduate school, to go back to where they came from. Uh, they got married and their spouse got a job somewhere else. Uh, they left the industry altogether, but they never left us for a competitor. Uh, about year five, as our growth started uh, becoming more visible, as our presence, particularly in Austin and San Antonio, became a number one, number two type market presence, the recruiters started getting their hands into our people and promising them the moon. Um, you know, and, and so we weren't able to say that no one had ever left the firm for a competing firm at that point. But here we are, year nine, you know, that's now been going on for four years. There are a dozen people who started with us out of school, got poached away for the promise of something bigger and better. And perhaps financially it may have been at the time, but culturally and the way it operates, apparently it wasn't because they're now back at Big Red Dog. Um, and, you know, we talk about how tight the market is. You know, you know what's, the, what's the saying that used to hang in our grandmother's houses? If you love something so much, you have to let it go. And if it comes back to you, then it was rightfully yours. Uh, you know, if you train these kids up and you, you give them the best that you can and you expose them to much of the business as you can. And, and when they take their chances somewhere else and they see, hey, not everything's like this. I'm in a Pepto-Bismol cubicle. You know, I don't know how the firm's performing. Um, you know, I don't know about the folks around me. There's no growth opportunities. Um, you know, then they, they realize perhaps what they gave back, gave up uh, to take that opportunity. And, you know, we'd be foolish not to welcome them back. You know, we've already trained them. They know how we operate and they become almost, you know, walking HR billboards. Of, you know, when their teammates are asking questions, why do you leave? Why do you come back? You know, that that's more powerful than any BS I can give them as a CEO, CEO, right. uh, <laughs> trying to convince them not to leave. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't Don't script that any better. So. If you're in the counter offer game, why didn't you give them the right compensation the first time? Um, it's, it's so much better to, you know, congratulate them on finding a good opportunity and tell them this door is open. You're welcome to come back here. Um, and they will come back. If you, if you're really doing something that's right and, and you're treating them right and they know that they'll realize that and they'll, they'll be back soon enough. And, um, so, you know, almost a third of the people who have left us for a competitor have come back and it's only been, you know, three or four years you know, since that started happening. So, um, you know, that speaks to not only the culture, but, you know, market structure and creating opportunities for our people. Without growth, there are no opportunities um, unless somebody leaves and, and nobody wants, uh, you know, voluntary turnover. Nobody wants somebody to voluntarily leave. Um, so, um you know, that, that market structure allows for that, but company culture plays a big part in that too. Um, 
you know, if you have a strong culture, it doesn't matter how your organization is structured. You know, a strong culture uh, can win out at the end of the day. You know, and Netflix has an excellent culture. Um, Amazon's got a little more cutthroat, but still a very regimented and, and excellent culture that clearly works. They're Amazon's eating the world uh, right now. Yeah, between I said Amazon and Netflix, I think between the two of them, uh, 95% of the web traffic after hours goes through Amazon or Netflix. Have you read that's that? That's about statistic? right. Yeah, that's about. That sounds about <laughs> right. So, and all that's on Amazon's probably on Amazon's um, um, S3 server system. So, um, you know, yeah, no, that that that's probably about accurate. So, (laughs) hey, folks, and thank you for listening to part one of Market Sector Madness. Stay tuned for part two next week. We think you won't want to miss it. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this Zweig Letter podcast episode. If you want more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about M&A, strategic planning, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe now to the digital version of The Zweig Letter free of charge. Just visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe and leave your email address. Your free subscription will begin immediately.